Alrighty, so we're continuing on our series, Glory to Glory, and I pray that it's been of benefit to everybody, and that you're starting to see the transformation that even though you may not be a completed product, but realize that God is still doing a work in you that is not to be despised or diminished or belittled, but to be appreciated, amen? As we may not be what we will be in 10 years, but we are surely... If we allow it to happen according to his will, we are still being transformed more and more to his likeness. Amen. Hallelujah. So we're going to read our text scripture. And this text scripture is 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. Look at that. The Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So one thing we have to ask ourselves, if we're feeling bound up, manipulated, controlled, overwhelmed, pressured, where is the Spirit of the Lord? Amen. If you're feeling bound up, if you're feeling like somebody's strong-arming you, you have to ask yourself, where's the Spirit of the Lord in that? Amen? And that begs the question, do you belong at the place where you're located, or are you allowing the pressures to overwhelm your relationship or your fervency or your focus on the Lord being present in your circumstances? Amen? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, you're not bound. You are not controlled. You are not overwhelmed. You're not overpowered. Amen. You could be in the midst of tremendous pressures, but yet still have the aura, the atmosphere, the aroma, the peace of God's presence surrounding you. Amen. So we have to keep that in mind. And we see here that it says, with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord. And as I said in previous weeks, the word open means to be unveiled turned inside out so that the inward is exposed. So we can imagine if our faces were masked and we would peel the mask off and see ourselves from the inside out. Once again, not as if we're looking at the organs and the veins and the tissues and everything, but as we're looking at the inward attributes that God has embedded inside each one of us, the things that he imparted into us so we will fulfill the divine purpose and destiny that he has for our lives. Look at ourselves and see what we are truly comprised of. What is the essence of our being? What is the core of our makeup? And as we look at another word in there, it says that we look at ourselves as in a glass. That word means to mirror oneself, to see reflected. It's almost as if you're looking in a mirror at yourself. But instead of seeing the outward shell, what color are my eyes? What color is my hair? What complexion is my skin? Instead, we're once again looking at the attributes, the astounding, amazing attributes that God gave each one of us uniquely. Amen. And it talks about us doing it not with our eyes squinting, as if we're afraid or appalled or disgusted or repelled by what we see, but to look at ourselves with open eyes as if we're amazed at how astounding and remarkable we are. So that changes things quite a bit from how we may typically view ourselves on a daily basis. Life, family members, people, situations, our own mistakes have 
put us in a position where a lot of us look at ourselves and we don't like what we see. But the reality is that's a lie of the enemy. If we're seeing ourselves other than how God views us and how God focuses on us and how God sees our purpose and his divine plan, we are shortchanging ourselves and allowing, in some, some instances, the devil to deceive us or even our own flesh to deceive us. But the reality from a spiritual perspective is that God sees something wondrous and re- remarkable and unique, each, each one of us, something that he's placed within us. And now we're in a time and season where he wants that which he's packaged in us to come outward so it can be exposed to bless our lives as well as to bless the world. Amen. So that puts us in another mindset. And we see that even though we aren't perfected, we are changed into the same image. What is that image? The image of Christ. Amen. So your path might be different than my path. Your role and purpose in God may be different than mine. But in the midst of all those separate, unique journeys, Under the confines of God's kingdom, each one of us should be molded and refined and transformed so that even though we have unique destinies and paths, we still have the same mutual likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? So the journey is different. The path may vary, but the characteristics of Christ still should be evident. And that's a great thing. We go through a metamorphosis, a transformation by, from glory to glory to glory that Jesus Christ takes us through. Imagine him calling us the potter and that potter putting us on an on a urn or a wheel, spinning us around and heating us and taking us through different processes. And him knowing us uniquely. And he knows that even though he wants each one of us to have different paths, different journeys, different purposes in producing the same image of Christ that we would all mutually share, for me, he may have to get out different lump than he has to get out of you to get you to the same likeness. For you, you might need more heat than I would to get me in the same likeness. But regardless of the lumps that had to be pulled out, the smoothing that has to be done on the rough edges, the painting that has to be done on the finished product, and the heat that it takes to put you into the essence of what he wants you to be. The reality is we may go down different roads, different paths, and different experiences in terms of hardship, but the finished product still takes on the likeness of Christ, and that's a beautiful thing. So I don't have to despise your journey. I don't have to be concerned that He took out lumps in me that he didn't take out of you. All I need to worry about is to to succumb or to submit myself to the process, knowing that regardless of how he does it in each one of us, we are all coming out the same, the same glorious image of Christ. That's amazing. Amen. Truly amazing. So that being said, I'm going to go into a word of prayer. I did not forget. I just talked about the text scripture. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the glory, the honor, and praise for everything you're going to teach us today. And as we continue to talk about the subject, glory to glory, we thank you, Father, for where you have us right now. And even though we may not be a completed product, even if we may not see ourselves as beautiful or remarkable, even if we are still in a place where we look at ourselves with squinted eyes, afraid to see ourselves as we really are, 
We thank you, Father, that you would take us to the place where in all our defects, all our imperfections and flaws, all of our quirks, we start to see ourselves with wide open eyes. We start to see how remarkable, how wonderfully and fearfully you've made us. And we just thank you, Father, that even in the midst of the process, whether we like it or not, that if we yield to the process and we let you be the true potter that molds us, refines us, shapes us, and takes us through that journey, we will all come out as a completed product in the image of Christ. We praise you, Father, for the process. We praise you, Father, to get us to the place in our minds where we start to see ourselves as being remarkable in your image. We even start to see ourselves as remarkable in ourselves, Father, and that as we would journey through life, we don't let the circumstances define who we are or what we are. We no longer allow the circumstances to define our capabilities, but we start to see that it's just part of a journey that you ordained, you allowed, and that once again, as we come out of it, amen, we will be a year from now different than we are today. We will be five years from now different than we were one year from now. That in 10 years, we'll look back and say, wow, look what you did, Lord. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. We thank you, Lord, that we would have a supernatural understanding, perception, that even as we go through the process, that we would start to view ourselves according to how you do. And through that, we would truly experience the spirit of the Lord and the liberty that you've ordained for us. And we thank and praise your Father for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So we talked about a bunch of things over the last couple of weeks. We talked about the nature of the beast and how he unfortunately got into the process and we fell short of the glory of God and we allowed the enemy to come in to bring in attributes and perceptions that are contrary to the word of God and it's a lot of times it's these variable, very things that have put us into the place where our perceptions about ourselves and our destinies are tainted and it makes us get to a place where instead of looking at ourselves with wide open eyes and seeing hey I'm wonderfully and fearfully made I'm a remarkable being I may not be perfect yet, I might not be mature enough yet, but yet God has made me perfect, perf perfect and he's continued to perfect me. We've allowed circumstances and experiences and the mistreatment by people to make ourselves see things contrary to what he had intended. And even though we fell short of the glory of God, amen, through Jesus Christ, he's made each one of us new creatures with a fresh, clean slate. Covered in the blood of Jesus. We are saturated with the presence of Jesus, and now we are capable. Amen? We fell short of the glory of God through our forefather, Adam, but yet through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we've been resurrected to a newness of life, a new journey, a new path. And the glory of God has been restored to us, but yet we have to get out of the, the filthy mindset, the filthy behaviors, perceptions, and actions, and allow ourselves to see the things that God is doing in us. Amen? And we were fearful of the punishment of God. We saw ourselves through tainted eyes, and we had to be renewed in our spirit of our minds. That's where we closed last week. And that's a continual process. Amen? If you try to tell yourself, oh, I've been renewed in the spirit of my mind in Jesus Christ, and then next week something happens, and you start worrying about it, well, 
you still need to go through a continual renewal of your mind. You have to realize that we've never arrived in the battle of our minds. Amen? That's the greatest thing that the enemy wants to send our way. And if we think that we've come above that, we're floating on a, cra- a cloud somewhere, I'm here to tell you one day that that cloud is going to come short of what reality of life is. The reality is that we're always going to have things coming our way to try to influence us negatively in terms of our perceptions and our trust in God. Amen? Those things are always going to come. So instead of saying that I'm going to float on the cloud, we need to be realistic and say, as things come, I need to continually renew myself. Amen? Refresh myself. That's something that we have to continue doing on a daily basis because the enemy is going to try to distort the things of God and the perceptions of God. So as we closed last week, we did talk about being renewed in the spirit of our mind. And one of the things I shared is that even though your spirit may be renewed and you'll be in God's presence when your body perishes, just because your spirit has been redeemed does not mean your mind has been redeemed. You can still think like somebody out there in the secular world. When they worry, you worry. When they're in fear, you're in fear. When they're anxious, you're anxious. When they're jealous, you're jealous. When they're angry, you're angry. When they're greedy, you're greedy. And so on and so on and so on. In other words, you can have a redeemed spirit that will be in the presence of God. You're sanctified and saved by Jesus, but you can have an unsanctified, unrenewed mind. So that is the biggest battle we have to deal with on a daily basis, renewing the spirit of a mind. What is the spirit associated with your mind? Is your mind attributed and associated with the kingdom of God where it is always focused on the principles and the promises and the nature of God? Or do you allow your mind to come down to temporal fleshly things and you see the problems that you're experiencing and encountering according to fleshly worldly principles? And I'm here to say today that I think all of us come off of that heavenly elevation from time to time. People say stuff, people do stuff, and the next thing you know, one minute we're glorifying God and I trust you in all things out of my mouth. The next, oh my God, how am I going to get out of this one? You just came off the cloud down into the world. Amen? And I'm not here today to criticize you. We all do it. From the front to the back, we all do it. But what I'm here to say is that that's going to be the biggest battle that we fight from day to day as we go from glory to glory, transform in the presence of God. It's not what he's doing in your spirit. It's what he needs to do in our minds. And the thing is, he cannot do it without our cooperation. He cannot do it without our cooperation. We have to choose to continue to study the word of God, to meditate upon it, to allow it to be applied in our daily circumstances. And every time those problems come our way or those perceptions come our way, we have to immediately take ourselves back into the presence of God or the world will get its ugly grip on us and the next thing you know, the enemy's things are coming in to assault us. And that is actually where we're going to start today. Amen? Basically, there are two types of attack that the enemy unleashes upon you. Amen? And those two attacks are fear and intimidation. When you're unsaved or you're walking according to an unsanctified mindset, the enemy will attack you with fear and intimidation. Or if you're, I I said that wrong. Let me repeat that. There's basically two types of attacks. One is fear and intimidation. The other is, 
is subtlety and influence. So on the one side of the coin, I would label it fear and intimidation. On the other side of the coin, I would say subtlety and influence. And here's where you can see the difference. First of all, if you're an unsanctified person, you're out there in the world, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior, and you're not living according to the principles of God, or if you're a saved person who has not taken the time to study the Word, to start to mature yourself in terms of your perceptions, your mindset, and your level of understanding of God, you are under the category of fear and intimidation. And that's where you'll see the enemy coming in. I'm going to take your life with this disease. Your children are out there driving a car. I'm going to kill your, your child tonight. Job situation. They have layoffs. Oh, I'm sure going to get fired. The enemy comes in and he says he comes in with an attack that's associated with fear or to intimidate you. So to one side, it will be fear. I'm going to do this to you. And then the other side of the coin is intimidation. Sometimes he doesn't come and attack you like, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm doing this to you right now. I'm going to snuff out your life. I'm going to kill this person you care about. I'm going to destroy this job, your reputation, this or that. Other times, it's more like, I'm about to do this in God, and he puts in the threat, if you do this, I'm going to do this to you. So it's fear and intimidation. And that comes once again under the side of the coin where your mind and your perceptions are not governed by the word of God and his principles. And that's how you could tell. That's your barometer as you're dealing with situations on a daily basis. If you're dealing with something or people, your finances or something like that, and the enemy comes in and said, this is what I'm going to do to you, or if you follow the principle of God, this is what's going to happen to you, that's the first thing you need to do is say, okay, Where's this thought coming in from? Because if, if, if it's of God, it's going to bring in edification, strength, wisdom. And in, even in God rebuking you if you've done wrong, even in the rebuke, love comes in and it points you in the right direction. It says, go and sin no more. But if you're in the mindset based upon what you're dealing with, where all you sense is fear and intimidation, that means that you've gone from the mindset of God, you've allowed the enemy's attack to come in to assault your mind, and now you're sitting there with a sense of trepidation, fear, anxious, heart racing. I'm overwhelmed. I'm going to die. Those are the sort of things that come in. You, anytime you sense that kind of mindset regarding the thoughts that are coming in your mind, you automatically have to come to the place where you say, uh-oh, I've come down off of the lofty perch of being in the presence of God where the Spirit of the Lord is and there's liberty and peace and wisdom, I've now ventured over, didn't mean to, but I've now ventured over to the place where I'm outside of the umbrella of God's protection and now the enemy is torturing me with all these thoughts that are associated with fear and intimidation. This is what I'm going to do to you. That is going to what I'm going to do to you. If you proclaim the promises of God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And if he can't get to you and say, I'm going to do it to you, he'll point to somebody that you love or concerned about and say, I'm going to get them if you do this. That is the modus operandi of Satan. And here's the thing. He does that either to people that are unsaved 
or he does that to people that are saved but have allowed themselves, their thoughts, to venture outside the umbrella of God's principles. Amen? Now, on the other side of the coin, if you are saved and you are abiding and living according to the principles of God, just think about your daily situations. The enemy never comes in with fear and intimidation when you have yourself centered on God's principles. He'll never attack you with fear. You're going around and like, okay, I got a health concern in my body. Oh, this might, I'll tell you, perfect example, me get, having to get the surgery. As soon as I heard that, I started doing daily communion. And every time I was rehearsing in my mindset, I was like, you know, you can heal me supernaturally, God. I can go in for my final test. And you'd be like, it's gone. What happened? This is a medical miracle. But if it doesn't happen, Lord, if I go to surgery, I know that you're the great physician. You're going to guide the hand of the surgeon. He ain't going to even be allowed to make a mistake. Because should his hand slip, your hand is going to be on him. Uh-uh. Not on my servant. Amen. So ain't going to be no malpractice today because my servant's on that table. So my whole mindset regarding that, which is, you know, the big C word that nobody likes to hear, that would bring in fear and intimidation if I allowed it. But my entire mindset was God, 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 and more God. And, Lord, I'm basically looking at it as a fork in the road. Either you're going to heal me miraculously or you're going to allow me to go to sur- through surgery for your divine purposes so I can minister to somebody else, and you're going to make sure I heal quickly. So either road, I'm like, I'm cool with either road, Lord, because you're in the center of both of them. But see, if I had the mindset, <gasps> Am I going to die on the, on the table? Oh, Lord. I, I can't get that surgery. What could happen? Well, what if they mess up? All these different things came in. The next thing you know, I would have caused all these different reactions in my body. I may not have healed quickly. I might have had some problems on the surgical table. All these different things could have come in. So I'm not going to tell you that the attacks did not try to come. But what I'm telling you is that once I knew that I might go that route, I had my mind so focused on God, 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 and more God that the enemy could not get in to bring in fear and intimidation. Matter of fact, the day of my surgery got delayed by an hour, amen? And I'm sitting there in a waiting room, and at a certain point, your mind starts saying, well, man, they should have come to got me for, you know, to put on my gown and stuff. Like, what's going on? So I'm sitting there, and then as I'm sitting there a few minutes longer, then... I felt it coming. I'm telling you, it's, it felt like this cloud was coming in or this little blanket was trying to cover me. I start feeling like, ooh, I start feeling a little jittery. But as soon as I felt it coming in, I didn't sit there and yield to it. As soon as I felt it coming, and the thing is, my body language didn't say it. I didn't say anything to Pam and her mom who was sitting there with me. Before I even had a chance to say anything to them, I was like, I got to get out the big guns. I unzipped my, my briefcase. My little bag I brought, pulled out my two pages of notes on healing, and I started reading. I was like, uh-uh. I ain't letting that come in. And here's the thing. I had two pages of notes, full scriptures on healing. Before I got through the first passage, it was gone. Devil's like, uh-uh. I ain't messing with that. He, he said, I messed with the wrong one. I went after somebody that had the word. So before he could even come in and attack me heavily, I, was, I wasn't even through the two pages. I was through the first verse. And he's like, oh, shoot, I'm wasting my time. He turned around and left. Amen? 
So here's the thing. Guard it in the word of God with your principles. The principles of God stayed on your mind. The enemy cannot come into it with fear. Why? Because he sees the glory of God and the presence of God surrounding you. Amen? But here's the thing. He might realize that he can't attack you with fear and intimidation. So when that occurs and he sees you're covered by the glory of God, he says, I can't mess with the glory. The glory makes me back up. That's why, you know, when Jesus walked somewhere, people were demon-possessed. Jesus walked on the tur- this turf one day. They're like, man, you come to torment me before the time? Jesus is like, I was just walking around minding my business. But they saw the glory of God on him. So Jesus wasn't even looking for a fight. They said, man, come on, man. Why are you messing with us before the time? It ain't the time for you to, to, to cast us out of swine or to make us go into the abyss or to, to punish us with eternal, um, to, to, to join the enemy in the lake of fire for eternity. It ain't even the time yet. Why are you messing with us, brother? And Jesus is like, I was just walking through. The glory was on him so strong, the devil's like, shoot, he just walks around the corner. We're scared. But here's the thing. The devil never attacked Jesus with fear and intimidation. You notice that? The devil always came in, if you be the son of God, command those stones to turn to bread. If you be the son of God, throw yourself off of this cliff and let's see if the angels will catch you. See, he didn't use fear and intimidation. Instead, he used the second type of attack that he unleashes unto those that he sees that are covered by the word of God, by the glory of God, and have their minds stayed upon the principles in trusting God. He uses subtlety and influence. So that is your barometer. If you're feeling that you're going under a physical or mental or emotional attack, and you, fear, you feel fear and intimidation coming on you, you have to immediately tell yourself, uh-oh, I ain't covered. I got to run to the Bible. I got to start reciting scriptures. I got to start meditating upon the word of God. I got to do something because somehow, and I don't know exactly how I got here, but I am not under the umbrella of God's protection. I got to run and get myself back under it. Amen. It's like that insurance commercial. I think it was the Travelers years ago. And their logo was this umbrella. And basically, the umbrella is representative of if you're a member of our network of customers, as soon as you sign that dotted line, you have insurance, hey, whatever happens to you, you're under the umbrella of the travelers. We got you. Same way with God. Amen? We are under a bigger umbrella. But the thing is, some believers choose that even though God has placed them under the umbrella of supernatural protection, Some believers, because they have not studied properly, have not applied the word properly, and do not rehearse it and cast down imaginations as things come their way, they choose, due to immaturity or whatever reason, to step outside of that umbrella, God's protection, and then they're sitting there, I'm I'm scared, I'm overwhelmed. You put yourself there. Amen? (laughs) So let's see an example. And we actually shared this passage, uh, verses 1 through 10 previously. I'm just going to do 1 through 5 this time. Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? 
And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Do you realize that was an attack there? Eve was attacked. Just think about it. It looks like a, it looks like a conversation, right? Very peaceful, very amicable. Nowhere in here did he say, Eve, I'm going to take your life. I'm going to bite you. I'm going to inject some snake venom in you. He didn't say anything like that. But he surely attacked her. He assaulted her. How did he do it? It says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And that word subtle means crafty and cunning in a negative sense. So the attack was not physical. He didn't jump up with a club and hit her in the back of the head. He didn't bite her and attack her, but he surely attacked her. How did he do it? He comes to her and says, has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She said, no, he didn't say that. We can eat of all the trees of the garden except for that one in the middle. And then what is, here's where the attack comes. He says, God has said, you should not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. In other words, he's saying, look at that selfish God. I thought y'all, you and God were so cool. I thought God loved you and gave you everything. Well, if he gave you everything, why is he barring you from that tree in the middle of the garden? Ooh, isn't he an evil God? He withheld something from you. That's where the attack was. Now, before that, Eve was perfectly comfortable. She and Adam went around in a cool today, and it talks about Adam, you know, was in the, out there in the midst, of, midst tending to the field, you know, tending to the garden, and God would come in in the cool today and interact with them, and everything was good until one day where the enemy came in, attacked not the physical body, not the emotions. He attacked her in the area of who is this God? How close is he to you? How much should you trust him? And what is the nature, nature of your relationship? He went from a God that provided me everything to he's holding stuff back from you. He said, if you touch that, you're going to die. And a matter of fact, if you go down, I didn't have it here. Verse 5. Oh, if you go down to verse 5. Oh, okay, here it is. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be of God, as gods, knowing good is and evil. God is preventing you from being like gods. Why should you not know what good and evil is? Why is he the only one that gets to know that? See, he's holding stuff back from you. So he attacked Eve in regard to who is this God that you thought you were so close to. He holding stuff back. I thought y'all loved so, each other so much. Why is he withholding knowledge from you, knowledge that he has, and he won't let you have it? So the attack was not physical, once again. He did not hit Eve. He did not bite Eve. He didn't send any animals her way to attack her, but he attacked her in the sense of what is the nature of your relationship with God? And that's what he does with you and I. If we're not covered in the principles of God. If we do not have our minds stayed on him and his principles, God, the devil will attack us in the area of fear and intimidation. I'm going to snuff you out with this illness that you're experiencing. When you go to the doctor, get these symptoms checked out, you're going to get 
bad news. And when you find out the bad news, it's going to be leading unto death. You know, if you have somebody you care about, you don't know exactly what they're doing or where they're at. Oh, that person's about to get killed. He comes in with fear and intimidation. But as your mind is stayed on Christ and he sees that you're under the influence of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, he comes in and tries to attack you in a sense of how much can you trust that guy up there? What things you've been praying for that have been withheld from you that you deserve? Why can't you get this or that and these different things that you desire? That's the way in which the enemy attacks you. But you have to realize that regardless of whether it comes in under fear and intimidation, where it could be leading unto some physical ailment or death, or it comes under subtlety influence, either way, it's just as dangerous because it takes you outside of the umbrella of God's protection. Amen? Don't look at the subtlety influence as, oh, well, I ain't got to worry about that. No, that could actually be more disastrous. Amen? That can cause you to backslide. That can tell you, that cause you to jump out of the frying pan into the fire directly. Amen? When you get to the place where I can't trust him. In him I live and move and have my being. Amen? The just shall live by faith. It's very easy for the enemy to come in and, and send something that can maybe hit you physically and like, I'm injured. But man, if he can get into your mind and your perceptions and get you to the place where I no longer trust you, I can walk away, man, he's really got you. It's open season on a saint that put on the armor of light and associated with the kingdom of God as opposed to the kingdom of darkness that now walks away from the principles of God and now you have a target on your back. And enemy says, man, they're not covered anymore. I'm going to send a full frontal assault to try to snuff that person out before they can return themselves to where they should be. And the thing is, the enemy knows that you need to be under the presence and the principles of God. And he's looking there for a chance, amen, to come after you when you're not guarded. That's why the word God tells us, give no place to the enemy. That word place means to give no, cease, no season of opportunity no place of, oppor- of opportunity. It also means don't give any keys or access. Don't give any license for the enemy to be able to, to um, get a stranglehold on you or a place in which he can t- attack you through, the, through a chink in your armor. So the enemy is looking for those things. That's why he will come to Jesus periodically. If this and if that and if this. And every time Jesus responds, it is written. And after the enemy, after he busted the enemy up, Luke 4, with it is written, it is written, it is written, it says the enemy departed him, not permanently, but it says the enemy departed him for a season. Matter of fact, we could pretty much infer from the scriptures that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he came and attacked again. If it be possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, Not my will, but yours be done. Amen. Hallelujah. So the enemy looks for a season. So we saw here that the enemy attacked Adam and Eve with subtlety. Why? Because prior to their fall, they were covered with the glory of God. And matter of fact, if you go down further until you get to verse 10, it actually said that Adam and Eve hid because they were naked and afraid and hid themselves. Amen. That word naked means to be basically stripped 
of the glory covering and of the nature of God. So even Adam and Eve knew something was different after they fell. They literally knew that the glory covering that was upon them that only allowed the enemy to come in with subtlety and fluence now had been stripped from them, and from that point on, he could come at them unprotected with fear and intimidation. So if we're not covered, we need to get ourselves there. Let's go to Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence cometh thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered and said, The Job, fear God for naught. Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Funny thing is, I had a Bible years ago. It was just a simple Bible. Um, not like an open Bible or one with all these concordances and Greek and Hebrew. It was just a simple, basic Bible. But one of the things that really stuck out to me years ago as I was starting to study the Word is that right above this passage of Scripture, it said, uh, it, it talked about the assault of Satan. And I was like, well, wait a minute, where's assault here? And what it was is Satan came in and interacted with God, and he was talking about his servant Job, but he says, does Job fear God for naught? He basically tried to assault God, not with a physical attack, because we already know how that ha what happened with that. When he tried to attack God, he got cast out of heaven, and it was just like a blink of the eye. You lost your mind? Slap. <laughs> And Jesus was like, I saw Satan fall like lightning. <laughs> God slapped him so hard that it was like a blazing trail as he fell to the earth. It was like flames. <laughs> Man, he slapped him so hard, he's on fire. <laughs> so, of course, Satan said, I ain't trying to attack him physically anymore. We know where that went. But, but it said in that, right above that passage of Scripture, it talked about the assault of Satan on God. And what it was, the same way that he tried to assault Adam and Eve in the garden, he tried to assault God here. Once again, God is covered in all his glory. Amen? So he, couldn't, he can't attack glory. He can't attack God. He can't attack God's purity and power. But what he could try to do is try to assault God in the area of what? Influence. Influence. Now, with Adam and Eve, he tried to attack what is their perception of the relationship with God. With God, he did it the other way around, and God... What about this Job? He only loves you because you bless him in every area. But take away all the blessings, and he'll curse you to your face. So that was the assault that Satan tried to commit against God. God being all-knowing, all-powerful, he's like, boy, I ain't, I ain't studying you, but I'll tell you what. You can go ahead and put him to the test, and you can be proven wrong. <laughs> 
So he didn't deceive God, and God had total faith in his servant that he was not going to fail. So God allowed this test to go through. But here's the thing. He tried to not only assault God to say, you can't trust your relationship with Job, but he, he told God right here, put forth thine hand against Job. He's like, not only do I not want you to trust God, trust Job, I want you to assault him. And God was like, I ain't assaulting my servant, but I'll tell you what, I'll pull back the hedge of protection enough that you can go after him to put him to the test, but you can do anything you want, but you can't take his life. So as we know, he had his, his skirmish with Job, he lost, and he looked like a fool once again before God. But the reality is, he still, seeing the glory of God, could not attack physically, so he tried to attack God in the area of perceptions of his relationship with Job, and then tried to deceive him to do something against his faithful servant. So we've seen it both ways, amen? That the enemy, seeing the glory of God, tries to come in and affect us or God in the area of perceptions. And that's the battle that we have to concern ourselves with on a daily basis. He may not come with fear and intimidation to try to tell you that your life is going to be snuffed out. I'm going to attack that person you love. However, he still might come in and say, you've been praying for years now. Can you really trust him? Is he all those things? You don't read the promises of God a thousand times over. Well, those promises ain't working for you, are they? So he can get you to the position like, you know what? That's right. I don't trust him anymore. And then you start to gradually fade in your loyalty, your fervency, dedication, your trust. And next thing you know, he's sitting there laughing. Won that battle. Sucker. <laughs> and you see that over and over and over, the enemy tries to come in. I don't know how you are on a daily basis, but that's one of the things I, I've seen over the years, that the enemy will try to come in. And once again, by the level of the attack, you can tell where you're positioned spiritually. If you feel overwhelmed, full of fear, amen, you could tell like, oh, I got to get myself back. I got to keep praising and professing. I got to read the word. I got to listen to some songs. I got to do something to get this spirit of fear off of me. The word of God says, perfect love casts off fear. Amen. Casts out fear. You feel fear. God's not there somewhere. Amen. So you got to get back into that zone in the presence of God so it repels that attack of the enemy. And if he comes in, like I said, with subtlety and influence, whatever area that he's coming in in, you got to go back to the Word of God. I'm having some struggles in my finances, and it keeps coming. And it's overwhelming. It keeps coming over and over and over again. Start studying principles on, on God and His provision. You know, my God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, you need to keep rehearsing. And that's the thing. When He comes in with His attacks, you can't be all out there just reciting anything. You need to counteract the attack that he's sending your way with scriptures that are pertinent to the, su the subject he's attacking you in. What did Jesus say? Amen. The devil came in and said, if you be the son of God, turn the bread, that, those stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. He responded to the attack with the scripture, amen, that counteracted that exact attack. He didn't just say any old thing. 
he countered attack with the exact thing that related to the attack of the enemy that came in his way. And it's the same with us, amen? You know, you see that with David. Um, David went out before Goliath. He said, I come, into, come before you in the name of the Lord of hosts. He didn't just say, I, I come to you in the name of God. I come to you in the name of Jehovah Jireh, my provider, the one who will see to it. He didn't come to him and say, I come to you in the name of Jehovah Jireh. He didn't come to him in the name of God the healer, God the banner, God the this, God the that. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. It means the cat, basically the, the, the fighting mad God that is the ruler of the heavenly armies. He said, I come to you in his name. So he responded, you want to attack me? You want to fight? I'm coming to you in the name of the God that fights. So we need to counteract the enemy's attacks with the specific attribute of God. And that's not to say that God can't defend you. Of course he can. But hey, if you know the specific things that relate to the battle you're facing, use those things. Amen? Hallelujah. To call down the power of God in your circumstances. Now, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8, says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So that shows us. First of all, we have to humble ourselves under the hand of God all the time. We don't need to be walking out there like, I'm in a place of maturity that I got this, you know, oh, I'm a software engineer, so when I'm working and writing software, I don't need God. I need God when um, I'm driving down the road and somebody's driving reckless. I need God when I'm sick and I need a healing. I need God there, but in the area of my expertise, God, you can, you can, um, you can take a nap right now. I got this. Because <laughs> I had times where I was dealing with stuff. I remember one time I was debugging this software, and there's this language called uh, JavaScript that's very intricate. And... One of the reasons I could type so well over the keyboard, even in the characters you usually don't use, is because when I'm writing software, some of those very characters, because they're so unique, are used in our coding frequently. I mean, how many times do you use tildes and curly brackets? Most people don't use them. You're writing JavaScript, curly braces all over the place. Amen? And sometimes you could literally have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of lines of computer code. And to you, the user, it might be like, okay, I click this button on the screen and it needs to do this. To me, <laughs> it could be multiple if statements, a curly brace here, a, br a square bracket there, a tilde, a comma. And if I got one of those characters out of place, you click that button, this ain't working. So to you, why ain't the button working? To me, oh, my God, I got a debug. I'm missing a curly brace somewhere. <laughs> so I've had times where I've literally tried to resolve something, and I'm working on it, you know, for sometimes it's like, okay, I fix it in five minutes. But sometimes, oh, my God, I can't. I'm looking at the code. I know it's something. It's a character out of place, a comma in the wrong position, or a curly bracket, and a curly brace, and I just can't find it. And there's been times where like, okay, I just need a break. And I'll walk away from it and be praying, and Lord be like, line 245, you're missing a curly brace there. Like, oh. I'll go back, stick that curly brace there, bam, problem solved. 
And I literally had times where you could be stuck on something for like a day or something like that, you know, very, very complex and intricate. And there's the times, like I said, I walk away, or it could be like I worked on it before I went to bed, and I get the following morning taking a shower. I'm there, rub dub dub <laughs> soap, and all of a sudden, oh, uh, you need to put an if statement there, and blah, 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 add a condition there, put a, a comma and a curly bracket there. I'm like, oh, thanks, Lord. <laughs> so I was like, you cannot say that God is not the Lord of everything because he knows computer code better than I do. Amen. <laughs> So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And one of the things that's so pressing about us as we transition from glory to glory, it says here, anytime you have cares, cast it upon him, for he cares for you. And the thing that's very key, it tells us to be sober and vigilant. vigilant. In other words, don't get out there and be reckless, and also don't stay out of, the mode of, I need to be watchful. I need to be careful. It means that even during peaceful times, you need to be watchful that something could occur. Amen? Perfect example is that they, they, caught, they had the alert um, for the Sochi Olympics. They said, oh, there's a, an alert out here that terrorists might try to put explosive in tubes of toothpaste. So they, they, they trigger the alert, and then when people come to the airline, they say, you got toothpaste? Sorry, you're going to have to buy it when you get over there. You're not carrying that on board. But it shows you the level of how something might seem to be ridiculous to the average Joe. But even though it seemed kind of ridiculous, they said in order for us to be totally cautious, we're going to up the alert and we're going to stop that from coming onto our planes so that, hey, if it was just a false alarm, it was a false alarm. But the fact is we're going to take it up a notch just in case there's an element of truth to this to prevent it from happening. And we need to be the same way sometimes in our walk with God. Yes, I'm going through peaceful times right now. No major things on the horizon, but that doesn't mean that I need to totally relax and say nothing could happen. You should still have the mindset that any time the enemy could try to come in and pounce on you. And that's why it shows us here, your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for the Christian that's not watching. That's relaxed. Amen. He's looking for that person just walking around clueless. Boom. Get hit in the head with a rock. Should have been alert. <laughs> just because nobody's attacking you doesn't mean that they can't. And that doesn't mean you walk around paranoid all the time, but you're just watchful. You know, I told, people, I told you all before here, I was like, I pretty much have a, a force field anytime surrounding me. I can tell you, like, who's over here, who's over there. And, no, I don't have eyes in the back of my head, but I just have a set, certain sense of my peripherals. Like, I know my eyes can only see so far, you know, like I can see that pillar right there. You know, I can see the pillars over here out of my peripherals. I can see both of these pillars with my head here. So I can't see back here, but I still have a sense that nobody's walking behind me right now. Amen. I just have that, that sense of alertness. And some of it's just like instinctual, like, you know, I pass by and I'm not necessarily, okay, it's this color, it's this tall and it's thick. But as I'm moving and navigating, it's kind of have a sense of like where everything is. Amen. And that's the way that, that the, 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 the Lord wants us to be in regard to the enemy's attacks. You ain't got to be like all over everything, scrutinizing everything, but just have a sense of alertness. Amen. 
have a sense of alertness. A lot of times you see with police officers, they're actually trained in that. You know, what to us could be an average Joe walking by, the police officer would be like, he has this type of mustache, blue eyes, sandy blonde hair. He had on a blue shirt with a black belt. And you'd be like, what? You saw that? Person just blew by you going to the bathroom. But they are just trained to be alert. Not that they're worried that something could happen, but if something should, oh, wait a minute. You said that it was a guy with a such such belt and blue hair? I saw that guy. And whereas you can only do a certain description for the investigators, the cop will break that thing down. Be like, he's 5'11", 175 pounds. You'd be like, wow, at a glance? Because they are trained to be alert even when they don't purposely try to be alert. Amen? So God wants us to be the same way about things spiritual. Not paranoid and anxious, but to have a certain level of awareness. We see here he's seeking somebody. He's walking about. That phrase, walketh about, means to tread all around. It also means to follow as a companion or a devoted admirer. This day and age, we call it a fan. Amen? That sounds kind of odd, that the accuser of the brethren, brethren, the enemy, the adversary, also could come in as your admirer, but that's just how he plays the game. So you're, you know, a woman, got a nice outfit on and everything, and enemy will come in and say, oh, just hike that skirt up just a little bit more. But no, that's not, that's not right. That's not appropriate. And be like, oh, come on, girl. You've been working out. You know, lost five pounds. Those legs are looking good. Just hike it up just a little bit more. Wait a minute, though. Oh, you did half an inch. Make it a whole two. You got to show those things off. So in other words, the enemy's not attacking you. He's putting his arm around. Girl, all that work you get to get that body looking like that, you better show it off. Amen. And he'll do the same thing with guys in appearance. And he'll do the things, you know, a guy go to the gym and, man, look at those arms, boy. You better put those, those pythons out. He strokes your ego. So the enemy's not attacking you always in terms of trying to instill fear in you or make you lust or make you greedy or make you angry. Sometimes he'll just come in and just tell you how wonderful you are. And sometimes, as the world says, you start believing your own press <laughs> <laughs> and you start thinking it too. So enemy comes in, man, you looking, low, you looking like this, you looking like that. You are the man. And you'd be like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you agree with him. <laughs> so the devil is your groupie. Only thing is, he tries to be a groupie that gets you into trouble. Amen? That's one of the things that people said and had a problem with over the years with Allen Iverson. You know, he was talking about his posse. They just gave him the name. I don't know if he called them the posse and it just stuck or whether people started calling them that, but that was just a well-known thing during his years with the Sixers. They said Allen Iverson and his, po- and his posse. And they said that none of them worked, so he gave them all houses and cars and gave them money, and they all just, like, sat around, just ate, and lived off his money. So they always talked about the posse, and they're like, Allen, you know, you know, you, you coming into the stadium before the game, you didn't make practice, and, you know, you getting up – Three o'clock in the afternoon, we had practice in the morning. You didn't show up. And, man, I was out partying last night. And they tried to go to the posse. Like, man, y'all lead him down the wrong road. 
He's great, but he could be greater. He could be more of an influence and a positive influence on the team if he's not hanging out with y'all. But they were so busy getting theirs, you know, that they weren't trying to change his behavior. Amen? So in other words, they were basically playing the role of the devotee, the one that is walking about, flattering you all the time, even if it results in negativity in your life. So the enemy tries to do that too. He may some come in with fear and intimidation, but if he sees that he can appeal to certain aspects of your life, your, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, if he can't attack you with fear, he'll come in and throw his arms around you and try to entice you and applaud you as you go into things that are inappropriate for your life and according to the will of God. So we have to be aware of that. And here's the thing. It says that he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. That word devour means to gulp up entirely or to swallow up. So the entire time he's appealing to you and telling you how great you are, he's actually trying to swallow you up and destroy your life. He's the worst kind of friend. He's the worst kind of groupie. Because he's just basically setting you up with all the applause and all the accolades and all the appeal to your vices the entire time he's doing that and applauding everything you're doing he's like I can't wait till I stick that knife in you and I snuff your life and this goes back again to what we said earlier if the enemy discerns the glory of God on you he'll he cannot attack you through direct overwhelming assaults on your mind and your body and your spirit. So instead, he'll come in with these influences to basically trick you into falling under the line where he can now attack you. He discerns that you're operating and perceiving things according to the flesh. He'll attack you with fear and intimidation or, like I said, he'll try to entice you and applaud you. But the end result is even while he's applauding you, he's trying to engulf you and snuff out your life, trying to get you involved with sin that will lead into your destruction. And the thing is, we should not be subjected to the spirit of fear and intimidation. There's really only one thing that we should fear, and we actually see this in the next scripture. Matthew 10, 28, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's who you need to fear. Amen? All this stuff coming at you in your body, your emotions, your, your finances, your relationships, your careers, all these things coming at you, they may come in and bring in trepidation from time to time, but the reality is the only one you really should fear, and there's a reverential feel, fear, is that the, the Spirit of God and, and God, the divine author and finisher of your faith, the eternal judge, the Lord of the universe. Because these things may even snuff out your body. But after your body's dead, you're not reporting to them. <laughs> you're reporting to God, who's the one who is the final judge and jury over your life. Thank you, Jesus. All right, um... As we all know, returning to the glory of God. We fell short of the glory of God. You know, that, that's one of the things that's said in the book of Romans. All men have fallen short 
of the glory of God. But thank God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are restored. And we have to be knowledgeable of the fact that as we're going through this transformation, this metamorphosis, that process can only be done through Jesus Christ. Twelve-step programs can't do it. Reading a good book cannot do it. Meditating or doing different things or physical practices or different things cannot do it. The only way we can get to the place where we're truly refined and transformed more and more in the likeness of God and into the perfect image that he has for our lives, as well as the divine uh, destiny and purpose being fulfilled in our lives, is only if we subject ourselves through the process and through the wisdom of God who is guiding us. Amen? So every man, no matter how great he may be, the only way you can truly ensure that your life has been fulfilled in what he had ordained for you is that you go through the one who defined it in the first place. Amen? How can we say what we're called to be when we didn't design ourselves? Are you created out of your own (laughs) intervention in a divine manner? No, you did not create yourself. You were created. Hallelujah. And we're created into the likeness of God. Who better to tell us how to adapt and be molded into that image and to fulfill that destiny than the one who made it occur in the first place? So we are all subject to that, and he is the only one who can map out where we need to go. Hebrews 2, 6 through 10, it says, But one in a certain place testifies, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visiteth him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection unto him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. It's so incredible and so full of love that Jesus chose, through the, through the plan of God, to be made lower than the angels. When he was in, at the right hand of God before the foundation of the world and involved in the creation of the earth itself and mankind, amen, part of that master plan, even as the word talks about him being the lamb slain before that foundation of the world, man. Just think about that. Before the world was even created, the master plan already included the fact that he would be slain. And he chose to do that. And he was basically present at the creation of all things, including the angels themselves. And yet he chose one who was involved in creating the angels to make himself lower than the angels. Amen? That's just incredible. He's made a little lower than the angels for what? For the suffering of death. And here's the thing. That is described as being part of the grace of God. Wow, what a horrible price he paid for the grace of God to give us the privilege to get ourselves redeemed. That he had to suffer all those things. But we praise God that even though we fell short of the glory of God due to sin, God chose to send Jesus. And Jesus chose to live a sinless life for you and I in the likeness of mortal men so that he would suffer death for all of us, 
yet without sin, that each one of us would be redeemed through his shed blood and his sacrifice. And thanks to Jesus, glory has been restored to everyone that accepts him as our Lord and Savior. We see here that he has brought many sons to what? Back to glory. Mankind fell short of the glory of God through the sin of Adam. But through Jesus Christ, glory has now been made available for us to be restored but it only comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. People are trying to find every way, shape, form to get themselves to utopia or heaven or we're all part of the, the universe and once we die, we'll dematerialize or dissolve and we'll be back into the essence of the universe. Yeah, yeah, whatever. God sent his son Jesus, amen, Holly, to sacrifice himself so that we who fell short of the glory of God and deserved eternal damnation now have been positioned through his sacrifice that before accepting Jesus, we were basically being sifted as wheat by the fear, intimidation of the tactics of the enemy. And we had nothing to protect us. Amen. But thank God through his grace, he gave us that time that we could accept Jesus, that now we were short of the glory of God. Through his sacrifice, we accept Jesus. The glory has now been restored. Amen? So don't look at yourself and say, I'm nothing but filthy earthling. No, you've got the glory of God on you. Amen? You're the temple of the Holy Ghost, and Adam had the glory stripped off of him. You had the glory reapplied. See the glory that God has placed on your life. Amen? Right there, you can say, wow, I'm remarkable. Out of billions of people on this planet that are walking around unsanctified, unredeemed, that do not know Jesus Christ, they're basically walking around with no glory on top of them. They're just flesh. But we who have accepted Jesus Christ, we have the glory covering placed back on us. No wonder Emmy has a target. As everybody's walking around on a daily basis, he can see the difference. He's like, oh, there's a few flesh suits walking around. Oh, wait a minute. Dag on it. That's one of those people with that glory covering. Man, I wanted to attack them and I can't. But wait a minute. They're not on their game today. They're not professing the word of God. That one's acting up, acting fleshly. That one talks a game but ain't living it. So, hmm. That glory cloud ain't looking quite as, as strong on them. Let me see if I can test them. But there's enough glory on them that I can't straight out, bam, attack them. But let me see if I can play with their mind a little bit. Get them outside of the confines of God's promises and, and protection. So that's what he does. He sees the glory on you, but he still looks to see, can I play head games with them? Amen? So if he sees the difference, why shouldn't we see the difference and see that the glory of God has been restored to us just by accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? You got a coating on you. You got a film. Amen? <laughs> and when you go to, to wash yourself and take, you know, shower or bath every day, you know why you get clean? The best soap is abrasive. The only reason you're clean it might sound a little gross, but the only reason you get clean when you take a shower is because you're, you're abrasively rubbing off the layer of skin that's embedded with dirt. <laughs> Why do you think they talk about soap scum <laughs> and you got to clean the tub? You're stripping the layer, you're stripping the top layer of your skin off through the soap. So you're used to stripping off a layer every day. But do you realize that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
that you got a layer applied to you that's called the glory of God? You're walking around with a covering. You have an invisible membrane, supernatural membrane, coating you and covering your entire body. And even though you don't acknowledge it, and when you look in the mirror, you can't necessarily see it, the enemy sees it on you, and he says, doggone it, that's one of them Christians. Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Marked as his precious kingdom and, and saints. And while I can attack that one over them, over there that does not know them, and I can do whatever I want, that one, doggone it, I can't come in and attack them, but hmm, maybe I could deceive them. He could tell the difference. How about us? Amen. How about us? Seeing the glory of God radiating upon us. And as we are serving him and growing in him, seeing ourselves transition. Amen. And translate it that initially we had the glory of covering applied. But you know, as you mature in God, it becomes more and more radiant. Why? Because as the fleshly attributes come off, more of the glory of God is evident and resonating from you. And we see that in the book of John 3.30, where it says, I must decrease, he must increase. The Amplified says, I must become less prominent, he must become more so. So that shows you that even though you got the glory of God on you, there's still various levels. And the brighter you want the glory to be, the more your fleshly attributes need to diminish or disappear. Amen? So you have the glory of God, but we can all take it to a higher level of how much it resonates and is visible, not only to other people, but to the enemy as he would try to come against you. <laughs> Here's an anecdote. I read a book on this guy, Smith Wigglesworth, and it's, it's actually documented by secular newspapers that people were dead and he prayed and they came back to life. And there's an anecdote about him that he was so close to God in terms of relationship and conversation that one day um, he would basically talk to God every night and then he would go to sleep. And they said before he passed, they said um, he was upstairs and he heard some rumbling downstairs in his living room one night. And they said, he, you know, he heard it and he prayed and he was talking to God. Then he heard some more. And they said when he came downstairs, the enemy was moving stuff around his house. And he looked at the enemy and said, get out of my house. He said, well, wait a minute. Before you go, put my stuff back where it was. And he went back upstairs and went to sleep. And they said that he talked to his family, and they said before he passed, he basically told them, this is my last night. And they said he went and sat down in his chair where he always just talked to God during the evening, and they came back in the room, and he was gone. He was so close to God. And this is many documented many, um, miracles that came out of, his, out of his ministry. Matter of fact, there's one time where there's this woman that had this, this huge growth. The Lord told her to punch her. He, like, socked her, came out, and she was totally healed. Mass tumor. This guy had so many miracles associated with his ministry. You know, I mean, if you're looking for a good book, look up Smith Wigglesworth. Hundreds of miracles, amen, and a close relationship with God. And he had the glory of God, and he was so sensitive to the voice of God that he just, like, had a love story going on with him every day in terms of communication and everything. So we can grow, amen, in our relationship with God, and we can get to different levels and levels in God if we allow that to occur in terms of our communication. Thank you, Jesus. Romans 3. I'm sorry, Romans 6, 3 through 6 says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. 
Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin should be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Do you realize that we've all been crucified? You know, we know the physical crucifixion where somebody takes you out to a a deserted place or a hill and they have these wood beams shaped like a T and they take these nails and drive them in and put you in there and you bleed out until you die or you suffocate. None of us, thank God, (laughs) went through that. No thank you. But it says spiritually here that we were crucified. Your fleshly man, when you accepted Jesus, your fleshly nature was crucified with the cross of Jesus Christ, amen, in a supernatural manner. And it says you died and then you were resurrected into the newness of Jesus Christ that you should no longer serve sin. So each one of us has already accepted Jesus Christ. You already died, not in a physical body, but you died spiritually from your oldness of being associated with the kingdom of darkness and being a child of Satan and a servant of sin. You died, you were crucified, then you were resurrected as a new creature. That's why it says, a new creature in Christ. So you died once already, but you were reborn and resurrected in Jesus Christ to now be a servant of God. That's an awesome thing, that you died from yourself. Amen? And the power of God, amen, was so incredible. Um, you can just look this up later. Matthew 27, 50 through 54, talks about the power of Jesus Christ. It talked about the veil at the temple was ripped from the top to the bottom. It was very thick. It was so thick that literally they said that if you took two teams of horses tied together between it and ropes, they wouldn't be able to rip it apart. It was so thick and so dense in terms of the stitching. But it says that the power of Jesus' resurrection, you know, when he gave up the ghost, the power was so great that it ripped from the top to the bottom. And that was representative of the relationship between God and man being blocked due to our sin. When Jesus gave his life for each one of us, that barrier, that block, an unrighteous man from the presence of God was torn down. And now we can come into the presence of God if we accept Jesus Christ with no barriers. Thank you, Jesus, for that power. And the power was so great that not only did, did he do that, but it says that the ground literally shook. And here's the thing. Some of the people that were dead and buried in graves got up out of graves and went into their hometowns and went and saw their family members. People literally came to life through the power of Jesus' death. If his death was that powerful, how great was his resurrection? The man died, and people came out of graves through the power that was unleashed. Amen? So imagine his resurrection power, and then go even further when he ascended to the right hand of God. This is all available to us on a daily basis as we serve Jesus Christ. We trust in him, and we pay it, and we believe in him. Amen? So the sacrifice of Jesus Christ was not without power, nor should we consider ourselves to be powerless people when we are under the umbrella of his protection, and he's placed in our hands different things, prayers and pronunciations of our faith that will help enable us and protect us and preserve us and guide us to fulfill the destiny that he has for each one of us. I'm going to give you one last verse 
to close out today's sermon. Amen. And this is an awesome one. Revelation 2.17. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. He that have an ear, let him hear. Are y'all listening? Amen. This is what the Spirit is saying unto the churches. The last time I checked, we're part of the churches. He said, to him that overcometh, we are overcomers in Christ. We have to remain determined to, to stay overcomers and to continue being transformed into glory, to glory, to glory in the likeness of Christ. And he says here, if you overcome, the choice is yours. I will give you to eat of the hidden manna. There's certain things that God wants to fulfill and to impart to you. Nikki talked about it earlier, that the Lord placed in our heart. It's like a, a, a piggy bank where you're, you're placing something into it, but you have to allow the crack to be there so that you have an opening for him to impart something into you. Amen? Are you empty? Are you open? He says, I have hidden manna. This is a precious, special, unique manna that is only available to the saints of God's to, to, God to eat. Amen? So he's giving you something that will nourish you, that will strengthen you. And then to go further, he says, when your life is judged, I will give you a white stone. What they used to do back in those times, thousands of years ago, when they have a, a, a case against somebody, they were bringing the defendant and they would reason it. You know, the person would say their side, the person would accuse them, and then the person would try to defend themselves and say, here's my side of the story. And then those who were judging the situation, they had a choice. Either they would put out a black stone that said you're guilty or a white stone. Jesus Christ is saying here that when your life is judged, no matter what you've done, and that doesn't give us a, a, a green light and a free pass. But he says, when your life is judged as to whether or not you will get eternal salvation or eternal damnation, he says, because of my shed blood and your submission to the, my leadership and governance of your life, when your life is judged, I'm going to make sure a white stone is put out, that you are absolved of any penalty of death. And now, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Amen. To eternal bliss. Hallelujah. But it says not only that, that you get a white stone. It says you are absolved of guilt. But it says on that stone, a new name is written. And it says it's a name which nobody knows except for the person receiving it. That's very interesting. There's going to be a name on that stone. In other words, the stone of your release from the penalty of sin, it has a name that only you're aware of. So in other words, he's assigned to you a new name. And there's a bunch of people named Carol. There's a bunch of people named Brian and all the names in this room. There's millions and millions of people probably that have had our names. But God says, no, I'm giving you a new name that only the person receiving it knows. And here's the thing. When I call my saints forward, you're the only person that has that name. So when I call, there ain't nobody else that can answer that call except for you who knows how to respond to that unique name. Nobody can steal your place in eternal glory. Amen? Because God's giving you a new name. And here's the thing. The world has given us all kinds of names. Amen? They didn't call us every name in the book. Reject, misfit, idiot. And they called us some stuff we can't say in church. Amen? But thank God 
Amen. When God gives you a new name, it's not only going to be a beautiful name, but it's going to be a name that nobody else can steal your spot. Amen. So when God calls, come a running. Amen. Because of the glorious relationship and the glorious name and the glorious continual transformation process that he's done in you and I. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Glory to glory. Glory to glory. Glory to glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll receive it. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. And that's a timely word because there were some attacks going on um, that I didn't even talk about. There's different attacks that have been going on. So I've, I've come through the storm, but that's definitely a pertinent word um, to keep in mind. Amen. Hallelujah. Because I think some of the stuff he's Lord's given me, the enemy has tried to come against it. Amen. So I definitely receive that. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you the glory and the honor, the praise for everything you're doing in us, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you gave us the, the time and the season to partake of this type of bread, bread that will show us that we're not misfits or outcasts, we're not mutts, we're not junk, but that each one of us is unique. Each one of us has um, a unique name that you've given us that only we can respond to. It's a unique name that was born in love that truly is a testament of the fact that you had a divine purpose and calling for each one of our lives. So we thank you, Father, that even though we may not know exactly all the things that we're destined to do or where you're leading us, we praise and thank you that you saw fit that even in our mother's wounds before we were born, you had a destiny that you plan for us and that you're now unfolding and we thank you father for the metamorphosis sometimes it's difficult sometimes it's even hurtful but even in the times that it hurts or we're disillusioned or we don't have a clue what we're doing or where we're at we praise and thank you father that your word is faithful lord even we're not your word is faithful to guide us and to mold us to perfect us to mature us to guide us where we need to go so right now, Father, we submit to the process. If we've um, fought it before, we repent of that. If we've gotten in the ways of ourselves, we repent of it. If we've failed to trust in you and we've believed the attacks and the assaults of the enemy, we repent of it, Lord. And right now, Father, we confess and we profess that we trust you and your wisdom, your will for our lives. We ask you, Father, to show us any areas in which we're resistant to you, that we would um, align ourselves with your will for our lives. And we just thank you and praise you. And we just announce before the enemy today that we do trust you, we love you. Hallelujah. We're submitting ourselves unto you. And we thank you, Father, that we'll look back, hallelujah, six months from now, a year from now, five or ten years from now, and we'll say, wow, Lord, with wide open eyes, Here's the glorious things that you did in us. And we just praise and thank you, Father. Of us. We thank you for who we are. And we thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.